Lord in our text this morning in Mark refers to an incident in 1 Samuel 21. So I would like you first to turn in terms of refreshing your minds about that incident. 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 through 6. Please give careful attention to the holy, infallible word of God. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a manner and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men in such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, truly women have not kept, have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will these vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. So there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken. Now, if you would turn to our text this morning from Mark's gospel in our series on Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray.
What a profound statement by our Savior, O Lord God, and we ask that we would see the great revelation that is given to us in the church concerning the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. Help us to understand and be elevated in our faith this morning that we may walk always in a closer union with our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. If you are reading a good novel or a wonderful story, a good author builds the story with more clues about where he is taking his reader, or you as the reader who is engaged in the novel or story. Especially within the evolving key interactions of the characters. As you read, you become more intrigued concerning how the plot is unfolding. If you have been closely tuned to Mark's story about Jesus, the narrative becomes more intense in the second chapter. My point is clearly demonstrated by looking closely at our text this morning while looking back at chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Both texts occur on the Sabbath. In chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, Mark introduces us to the effect of Jesus' teaching in the synagogue. He taught with the authority that surpassed the authority of the scribes. Plus, his authority was seen in casting out a demon in a man on the Sabbath. When I preached on that text, I pointed out that you are observing the Lord of the Sabbath at work. Although the text did not use the phrase, the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, Mark is now going to make what was previewed in the first chapter become very intense here in the second chapter. The narrative is building. It is becoming more dramatic. The excitement about the Sabbath and Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees is building steam. So as we have been seeing in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, 6, we have five narratives in which Mark is really drawing his reader into the tense theater of the story, his story, about Jesus. Two things are occurring as you read these five incidents. First, Jesus' tense discourse with the Jewish leaders grows as the narrative unfolds. And second, the Jewish authorities increase in their criticism of Jesus. Come into the text this morning. 
We now come forward to the fourth narrative of the five here in verses 23 through 28. To repeat the intensity between Jesus and his opponents is building. In the first narrative of the paralytic, it was Jesus and some, some of the scribes. Chapter 2, verse 6. In the second narrative about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, it was the scribes of the Pharisees, chapter 2, verse 16. And now in the fourth narrative, it is the broad audience, the expansion of the Pharisees themselves, verse 24 of our text. Now, don't forget Mark's theme that is engaging the reader in these five narratives. The theme is the hostility. The hostility and the opposition that Jesus receives because his authority exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Yes. How will you, the reader, respond? Will you bow before the authority of Jesus and be a willing follower of Jesus? It will cost you. It will cost you. You will be despised in the world. Those who will bow before their own autonomy will despise the authority of Jesus in your particular life. Well, we now come to one of, if not, the most serious test of religious piety and authority among the Pharisees. The Sabbath day and its regulations. The Sabbath day and its regulations. Again, note the movement in the narrative. Jesus addressed the religious piety of the disciples about fasting. Not to the Pharisees, but to the common people observing Jesus' disciples in comparison to John the Baptist and the Pharisees. We looked at that last Lord's Day. However, now Mark brings his reader into the drama of one of the most visible expressions of religious piety in the Jewish world. The Sabbath day. Even among the Pharisees, the fasting on two days a week was voluntary. But the regulations that controlled the visible piety of the Sabbath were not voluntary. They were mandatory. In fact, we are entering into the domain of the authority of the Jewish religious documents supported by the Pharisees, the Mishnah, that became an authoritative extension of applying principles in Scripture. 
The intention was, the intention was, did you hear that? There's always good intentions in religion. (laughs) Always good intentions in religion. The intention was to legislate almost every circumstance in life in order to protect the faithful Jew from breaking the Sabbath. After all, to break the Sabbath necessitates the death penalty. Exodus 31, 14 and 15. Well, (laughs) our text opens immediately with a problem. A problem between what the scriptures teach and what is added by the other Jewish writings. Jesus and his disciples are going through the grain fields. And the disciples began to pick the heads of grain. The Pharisees immediately confront Jesus. Like the previous narrative about fasting, Jesus' question about the action of his disciples. And Jesus will now intercede for his disciples, his children, his flock. He will be their defender as the supreme authority of the entire universe. Interestingly, interestingly, the actions of the disciples does not violate the Old Testament law. It does not violate the Old Testament law about the Sabbath. In fact, according to Deuteronomy 23-25, it is absolutely clear to pick from the heads of grain is permitted. It's permitted. But it is not permitted to sickle the grain. That is to thresh or harvest the grain on the Sabbath. Exodus 34, 21. So you, as you can see, his disciples are not technically violating the Sabbath by removing the grain. However, his disciples are violating the new humanly constructed Jewish law by picking the head of the grain. Jesus refuses to focus upon this Jewish violation. That's an interesting aspect of this text. It is a human constructed law of legalism. Instead, he points the Pharisees to an incident In David's life. In David's life. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why? It would be so easy for Jesus to show that Moses is clear that his disciples are not sinning in terms of their actions in the grain fields. In fact, Jesus could clearly point out how those new Jewish laws go beyond the actual word of God or even the intent 
of the word of God. So why? Why the example of David here? Congregation, keep your mind focused upon Jesus' authority as the intercessor of his people. What did David do? David comes trembling, representing his men into the house of God to obtain something to eat because he, those who are with him, are really hungry. David's hunger would be satisfied with the five loaves of common bread. But the priest remarked that he did not have any common bread. He only had the holy bread. Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 21. At this point, the priest inquires as to whether David and his men have abstained from being with women on their expedition for King Saul. David remarks that they have abstained and thus they are pronounced holy in verse 5 of 1 Samuel 21. In view of their status of holiness, the priest, the priest does something that is clearly prohibited by the Old Testament law. Only the priest is permitted to eat of the bread of the presence, the show bread. And yet the priest in our text, in mercy, gives it to David and his men. Yes, the priest removes the holy bread, the bread of the presence, the show bread, the symbol of the absolute presence of God as the strength and nourishment of life, and gives it to David and his men. Verse 6 of that Samuel passage. Now, (laughs) the storyline is really getting confusing. (laughs) It's really getting confusing. Now that the intensity between Jesus and the Pharisees is really picking up, Jesus' dialogue may seem bizarre to us. Why isn't Jesus just showing the Pharisees that his disciples are not violating the Old Testament law by picking the grain on the Sabbath? After all, the disciples are in complete compliance. Compliance with the Old Testament scriptures, the holy word of God. Jesus could easily point out that the Pharisees have added laws for the Sabbath observance and are not not executing correctly according to the scriptures. Well, Jesus decides not address not to address their added laws. Instead, he decides to provide the Pharisees with this example about David, in which the priest and David are in clear violation of the Old Testament scriptures. 
And Jesus uses this example as positive justification for the action of his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus used the violation of the word of God as a defense for his disciples. Are you seeing the drama here? Are you seeing the issue here? Stop. Take a deep breath. (laughs) What is going on with our Lord? Congregation, you must grasp Jesus' understanding of Old Testament revelation is at a higher level than the Pharisees. Remember, all Old Testament redemptive revelation is pointing to Jesus. In the case of the example of David and the context of Mark's narrative, we must see a distinct focus upon the priesthood and the authority of Jesus Christ. Come into Jesus' response to the Pharisees and allow it to elevate you into a rare jewel of seeing the final revelation of Jesus being previewed in this Old Testament event. This is glorious. This is glorious. Jesus is speaking from the position of authority that he is the fulfillment, the fulfillment of the revelatory story that we have read in Samuel. That we have read in Samuel. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is taking the Pharisees into a higher level of understanding the truth of the Old Testament that it, it that is not within their comprehension. They do not understand how the redemptive stories of the Old Testament have their focus in the coming of the Messiah. Jesus, in using this example, is trapping them. He's trapping them. The Old Testament for them is focused on law, not gospel. Moral platitudes of pious living without seeing that its revelation is always pointing to the triumph of grace that is found in Jesus Christ. In David's story, Jesus is taking the Pharisees to an event which previews the final eschatological state of true religious existence in the priesthood and authority of Jesus himself. We must keep in mind that the stipulations of the Levitical priesthood 
point us to the perfect, the perfect priesthood of Jesus Christ. We must keep that in mind. And thus, when Jesus appears, those stipulations are dissolved in the sense that they pass away and are transformed in the sense that the new and the final priest is here into a higher supernatural religious sphere of union with our God. We have to see that. David has entered the house of God on the Sabbath day. He's trembling. He's trembling with hunger. That's his state at this point. David offers a request to the gracious priest of the house of God. Can I have? Can I have the five loaves of common bread? Can I have those? O congregation, the eschaton is about to intrude into David's life as well as being exercised in the life of the priest with stunning, stunning results. The voice of Jesus is resounding in the story in Samuel. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing the voice of Jesus all the way back in the book of Samuel in this situation with David? And I was hungry and you gave me food. Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or they will be satisfied. The priest here in David's story will serve the hungry. David and his friends with the showbread, the bread of the presence, the bread that is the symbol of the strength and nourishment found in the bread of life. You know him, do you not? You know who that bread of life is. You know his name. It's Jesus, the Christ. David and his friends were definitely satisfied. They were satisfied. Their holiness is satisfied. They enjoyed a wonderful preview of the final Sabbath day in the house of God. You see, as you read the text there in Samuel, you see very clearly in that situation, That there is no judgment passed on the priest for giving the showbread to David, which was a violation of the Levitical law. Jesus says that. 
Also, there is no condemnation of David for eating the showbread, which was a violation of Levitical law. The only way these are retracted from the Lord's radar is because in this case, the incident recorded in 1 Samuel is pointing us to the fulfillment of the Levitical law, the fulfillment of the Levitical law, which is only found in Jesus. the only place specifically the only way their actions are not a violation of Levitical law is because the Lord of the Sabbath injects in history his authority that declares in word and in deed that the Sabbath is made for man. The Sabbath is made for men. The Pharisees without repentance and faith, without the good news, will always declare that man is made for the Sabbath. Their view of the Sabbath begins with themselves. It begins with man, in which man regulates the Sabbath. Jesus, on the other hand, begins with the Sabbath, in which he, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the authority of the Sabbath. The priest who serves those who come before him in the eternal house of God. Starving, starving for the gift of spiritual and religious satisfaction found only in the pronouncement of holiness in the bread of life. That is why you are here this morning. You are only satisfied with Jesus. With him being the bread of life. With him being the Lord of the Sabbath. You can perish under man being the authority of the Sabbath or you can enjoy the eternal kingdom of God under Jesus being the authority of the Sabbath. But there is one final point. There is one final point. Who does Jesus say is the Lord of the Sabbath? Did you notice that in the text? Who does Jesus say is the Lord of the Sabbath? Ah, 
Here comes that phrase again, that phrase that Mark uses as the first phrase in terms of the identification of Jesus in his gospel. It is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Remember what we said about the Son of Man in chapter 2, verse 10? We had a whole message on that. Yes, no one can enter the presence of the Lord of the Lord of the Sabbath and receive the gift of the eternal Sabbath unless the Son of Man has forgiven their sin. Remember the paralytic? Remember the paralytic? What you're seeing here, are you making the connections in Mark's fascinating, fascinating story? The Son of Man, Jesus, who is eternally God, condescends into the creation as the Son of Man. His condescension is such that he ushers the everlasting Sabbath into the creation for the sake of sinful humanity. The Sabbath condescending in Jesus into the creation. The Sabbath was made for man. That day has arrived. Follow the narrative here that we have been following. Sinners are forgiven. Physical disabilities are made well. Tax collectors and sinners are seated with their Redeemer. There's no time to fast. Go ahead. Pick pick the grain in the grain field. The bridegroom is present with His bride. That's all the narrative prior to our text. Landing upon your soul this morning as the Son of Man ministers to you. You recall, you recall, do you not? Think about this. You recall that there is no birth narrative in Mark's gospel. No birth narrative in Mark's gospel. In these five narratives in Mark's gospel from 2 chapter chapter 2 verse 1 through 3 6 Mark is presenting to you his edition of the incarnation of Jesus the son of man has come into the creation as the lord of the eternal sabbath the joy 
the festive celebration of the final Sabbath has begun. The bridegroom is here. Will you not this morning rejoice that you, by the wonderful gift of grace, are guests at that wedding feast? You are guests at that feast. On this note, let us all together as a congregation come to the table to be strengthened and nourished by the bread of life, the bread of the presence of God broken for us. Let's pray. We are overcome, O Lord, our God, with the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a Savior, what a Redeemer we have in him. We ask, O Lord, that our hearts this morning will be nourished by this text by the words of Christ in the text, and that we now, as a congregation, come for our nourishment in terms of the spiritual presence of Christ on our behalf. Let us bow before the King of Kings, the Lord of the universe. In Christ's name, amen.